0: Go ahead and grab a seat of all our locations. And as you make your way to your seat, let me just say, welcome to Northridge Church. Welcome home to each and every one of you. Shout out to our campuses at Webster, online and Rochester. And our prayer and our hope is that you feel that welcome home here at Northridge Church. That what could easily feel like a crowd that you could get lost in, overlooked in, it would feel like a family to you. In our hope at Northridge Church that as you experience it, this could be a place you could belong, uh, where you can make relationships and friendships, uh, a place where you can learn and grow in who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us with the ultimate goal that we together on this journey of life would become more like Christ, that we would be sanctified through his word and his Ways And so we are honored to have you here this Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Northridge Church. And today I'm going to share with you something that probably the majority of you don't know about me. I am blind in one eye. You see, I found out about it about 10 years ago. And so if, if, if I were to just do this, if I were to take my right hand and I were to cover my right eye, let me tell you, you guys look fantastic I can see everybody from the front to the back. Hey, I can see so good. I can see out the Webster and all that. You guys look awesome. It's great. Now, if I were to switch hands and I were to cover my left eye, I have no clue who's in the front row. I can't read any words on that screen or that screen or anywhere. I can't make out a single face. And I know what some of you are thinking. Who lets Drew get behind the wheel of his car? like, how is this guy allowed to drive? What's fascinating is when I open both of my eyes, I see clear. I see wonderful. The only kind of ramification of being blind in in my right eye is on my peripheral of my right side, there's things that happen that I don't always catch until they come around the corner of my face. And so there, there are things that I am blind to on my right side. And it impacts my life. But here's what I would suggest. Although not everybody else is probably blind in in one eye, I would suggest spiritually we are all blind to certain things in our life. There are things that that we have just accepted into our life, things that we don't even see anymore, that that, that live in, in rebellion to God's ways and God's best for our life. We are spiritually blind. And over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about some of the things that we as Christians, as Christ followers, have become blind to in this series we're starting this morning called Subtle Sins of Society. And so before we dive too far into this series, I think it's really important for us to understand that word. You see, we use this word all the time in church gatherings. It's a small word, but it's potent. It's the word sin. What is sin? Sin. Well, if you study the original language, the Hebrew word for sin is chet or chetah, and it simply means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. And so we, the Bible, would define sin this way, that sin is any thought, feeling, words, or actions that miss the will of God. So when I choose to sin, I'm doing it through my feelings or my thoughts or my words or my actions, and and what I'm doing is I am choosing my way over God's way. When I sin, I am going against God's way, rebelling against his way for the sake of my way. And I love how John Piper puts it. He says this. He says, sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. And at the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning is such a heart, a heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that does not treasure God over all other persons and all other things. And so when we sin, we rebel against God's way. Now there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the Bible teaches in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the good news is, is we are all in this struggle together. We are all sinners. The bad news is we are all in this struggle together. Right? We all relate to the topics I'm going to talk about. We all struggle with them. And so no one can kind of like check out and be like, yeah, I got this one down. Because these are all things that we often become blind to too. So it's important to know what sin is. It's also important to know where sin leads, where the path of sin. You see, here's what's true about sin is sin always promises temporary gain for permanent pain. That's why we choose it. That's why we like it. That's why we indulge in it because at the front end in the temporary, it's good. It's pleasurable. It's awesome, but sin always costs you more than you really wanted to pay. And I love the imagery of the Bible. Bible teaches us the pathway of sin. Look what Proverbs 20 says. It says, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. Just go with me with this imagery, right? The Bible teaches us how sin works, right? It's like food. And you ever had a bite of food that is just so good? Right you you eat it you take your first bite and you're like, man this is so sweet this is so tasty so you want another bite and you take another bite because it tastes so good and that's what sins like at first it's awesome it's pleasurable it's pleasing and you get this taste it's so good but then eventually over time you realize you're chewing on a mouthful of rocks gravel. That is what sin is, and that's where it leads. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about some of those mouthful of gravels that we have that we become numb or blind to. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, jump into your device. I'd encourage everybody to grab the Northridge Church app. We can take notes in the journey. And this is probably where I lose a lot of you, because the first sin we're going to talk about is the sin of comfort, Man, aren't you glad you showed up today, baby? Right? The sin of worshiping comfort. And in Matthew 16, what's interesting is we didn't plan it this way, but God did, is we're picking up right where we left off in the Bible last week. If you weren't here with us last week, we did a series. We brought it to an end called Who Is This Jesus? Where we saw the, the stories of Scripture actually where they happened. We were in of Philippi where Jesus is teaching his disciples who he is by asking them questions. And he reveals who he is, and what happens next is Jesus begins to tell his disciples of his ultimate purpose. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So let's go back a little bit farther. Right? Jesus and his disciples have been in ministry for a couple years now. The disciples have been learning who Jesus is. They've seen him do miracle after miracle. They've seen him love and care for people. And so they've got to the point where they're kind of understanding who Jesus is. And now it comes to the point in Jesus' ministry where he's going to reveal to his disciples his ultimate purpose, that he came to suffer and die. The problem with this news is it broke every expectation the disciples had for Jesus. They thought Jesus came to rule and to reign, to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were ready for the moment where Jesus got his army and took over the place. And for them to hear that their savior, their leader, their rabbi was going to suffer and die, it like destroyed them. They couldn't believe that was going to happen. And what's what's fascinating is as we look at Jesus' life, What's so amazing is if you read the Gospels, here's what you will find out about Jesus. Jesus was never after comfort. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus never chased after his own comfort. And I don't know if that's convicting to you, but it's convicting to me because a lot of my life I spend trying to be comfortable, making my kids' life comfortable, and yet Jesus, our example, who paved the way for us, the, the way we're supposed to follow, never really gave comfort a priority at all. In fact, he looks at his disciples and says, like, I actually came to suffer and, and die. And his disciples didn't like that message. They didn't like that news. In fact, we know this because look how one of them responds. His name was Peter. It says, Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, let's just pause here. This is great advice. Never rebuke God. Never works out in your favor. It's never good for you. I don't know what Peter was thinking. I really don't know what what got in Peter's mind. Like, just earlier, he got it right, right? He said, you're the son of the living God, the Messiah. He knew who Jesus was, and yet he's telling him, no, you can't do this. And look how Jesus responds. This is Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I'm like, ouch. Poor Peter. Jesus looks at him, he's like, you're the devil. Coming from God, that, that's kind of a big deal. Like, you're getting in my way, Peter. You're a stumbling block to me. All you think about right now is human concerns. I'm thinking about God things. And the truth is, is, Peter didn't get it. The disciples didn't understand. And here, Jesus, or here Peter is fighting against Jesus for what? Some would say, well, he's fighting for his friend's comfort. Wrong. Peter is fighting for his comfort. Because you know what's uncomfortable to Peter? A world where his Savior would die. You know, it was uncomfortable for Peter imagining that his leader, his rabbi, that he thought would rule and reign, would suffer and die. That wasn't comfortable for for Peter, so he's fighting Jesus' plans. And don't miss this. Peter is actually fighting against the salvation of humanity. Peter is fighting against his own reconciliation with God. And for what? His own comfort. That's why Jesus responds so harshly to him. That's why Jesus looks at him and he says, you're acting like the devil. You're fighting against God's plans for humanity. And so what we have to understand is if we step back and we look at this passage from a a bigger perspective, we have to see that in, in this passage, there's two perspectives being played out. The first perspective is represented by Peter. It's humanity's perspective. It's our perspective. And if we, if we, for a second, just like be honest, we all get Peter's fight because we would fight the same fight. I mean, none of us want to see our friends, our loved ones, our spouse, our kids suffer. We would fight against that. We wouldn't want that to happen to our kids. And is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, there's not. That's a good thing. The problem here with Peter was he knew what Christ came to do. God revealed that to him, and yet he still fought against it. Peter had in mind only what he could see, but what he failed to realize was that through Jesus' suffering, God would produce something amazing. And this forces us to ask a question that, isn't always fun to ask. How often do we fight against God's will for our life because we want comfort more? Honestly, if you look at your life, there are probably some things that God wants to do in you. Sanctify you, make you look more like him, but you're going to have to suffer to go through that and you're actually fighting against God's will for your life because you'd rather be comfortable than look more look more like Jesus. How often do we do that with our kids? My kids, I'm so busy trying to protect my kids and make their life comfortable. And I think sometimes God's like, hey, Drew, um, I want to do some things. And it's going to cause your kids to have to go through some turmoil and some tribulation, but it's for their benefit. How often are we getting in the way of God's will because we love comfort? So the first perspective is humanity. The second perspective is God's. And unlike humanity's perspective that gets so caught up in the temporary, God was seeing the whole picture. God was seeing the end from the beginning. He could see the painting fully painted. You see, Peter and us, we just see temporary pain for Jesus, but we often neglect the ultimate healing and wholeness that Christ's suffering produces. So Peter was just looking at the here and now. But Christ and God saw the ultimate prize. Comfort usually gets in our way of seeing things clearly. And so what Jesus does next is is brilliant. He actually invites his disciples into a deeper level of following him. Look what he says next. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, before we go any farther, it's interesting, right? He's asking his disciples if they want to be. disciple. I thought they were already disciples. And and, and for us as Christians, right, people, I would would guess that the majority of you are here because you long to follow God, to be a disciple. And so if, if Jesus is saying, if you want to be that, we should probably lean in a little bit. We should probably pay attention. And he says this, you must deny yourself themselves, take up their cross, and follow me so what Jesus does here is he knows that we would long for comfort, and so he teaches us patterns that we can have in our life that will help us overcome our worship of comfort to walk more closely with him. And the first pattern is regular denial. To choose in your life to sometimes deny yourself of comfort for the sake of growing more intimate with God. Now, I want to pause here, and I want to make something real clear. Because it would be easy for you to listen to this message and just come to this conclusion that like, if I follow Jesus, my life has to be miserable. That is not what I'm saying. In fact, comfort is not wrong. Being comfortable in your life, enjoying the comforts of this world is not inherently wrong. In fact, God brings comfort into our life as a blessing. The problem is when we worship comfort. The problem is is when we make comfort an idol and we're not willing to let go of that comfort to follow Jesus more fully. When that happens, we worship it. We can't let it go and we worship it instead of God. So Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciples, you gotta live in this rhythm of regular denial. Well, What does that look like? What does it look like to regularly deny yourselves? I would suggest today we don't have to look any farther and the people we want to honor is our moms. How often did you see your mom deny things that she wants for the sake of her kids? How often do moms deny their calendar, deny their sleep, deny the jobs they want to get done to help the family be successful? We think we see this in moms regularly where they, they deny themselves for the benefit of others. And that's what Jesus is talking about, to let go of your comfort for the sake of serving somebody else. What does this look like beyond that? Well, sometimes it's saying no to the job that pays more because you know it's going to take you away from your family more. Sometimes it's, it's giving back 10% of your income back to God in his kingdom. Sometimes it's saying no to food that you know is unhealthy for you. Sometimes it's it's choosing to bite your tongue when someone says something snarky to you. Sometimes it's it's giving up your time to serve your neighbor. It's putting your kids, your spouse, your community group, your neighbors in front of yourself. It's saying no to your Netflix show to read the Bible more. It's giving something up to fast and pray. It's being in the foster care system to love somebody else's child. You see, See, the list goes on and on of ways that we can deny ourselves to walk more closely with God. And so the first pattern he introduces is regular denial. The second one is embrace purposeful suffering. To actually embrace suffering, like, I get it, this is not popular, right? Who wants to go on Iwant.info? Hey, I'm signing up to suffer, Drew. Sounds awesome. But what's amazing is that's what God sometimes calls us to, is to know that suffering actually produces the right things in our life. And here's what's crazy. When, when, when it comes to comfort and suffering, we love comfort, we don't like to suffer, but what's crazy is suffering often produces the things in our life we wish comfort did. Suffering is actually the most sanctifying thing that God uses in our lives. Okay, let's be honest. Christians, when we get comfortable, what usually happens? We become complacent. When we get comfortable, Christians, what usually happens? We become apathetic. Christians, what happens when we get comfortable? We often think, God, I got this. Don't need you. But Christians, what happens when we suffer? it like reorients our minds and our souls back to god like i need you i'm desperate for you and yet for some reason we chase after comfort the very thing that pulls us away from the god we desperately need and look what the bible teaches us what suffering produces in our lives look what paul says it says we rejoice in our what in our suffering i I like to rejoice in my comfort i don't know you I ain't praising God for the suffering in my life. I'm praising him for the couch in my life. Amen? Paul says that's backwards. He says you rejoice for your suffering. Why? How? Because you know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I'd be different. That'd make my life look different. God, thank you that I'm suffering today. And let's just say you think Paul's crazy. Well, I, you could get there. What about James? Let's go to James. So someone completely different. He says, count it all joy. Right? So what do you count joy, my brothers and sisters? When you meet trials and various kinds of various kinds. You know what they call that? Suffering. Why? You know that the testing of your faith Produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing <laughs> it's crazy what suffering does in our life, we don't want it but yet it produces the things that we want to be true about our life we find ourselves chasing after comfort And I get it, this is not like the the greatest message on church growth strategy. This is not gonna go down in one of Jesus's most popular messages that he ever preached. But here's what I've learned about Jesus. And it's hard when you lead a church because I'll be be real with you. Like as, as a pastor, I wanna see our church grow. I want more and more people to come to know and hear the gospel. But the truth is, is when Jesus was in ministry, when the crowd got big, he would say hard things to see who was serious about following him. That's why he said to his disciples, do you really want to be my disciple? Because if you're going to be, you're going to have to let go of comfort. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to pick up a cross and you're going to follow me. But then he does something, I think, amazing. He encourages them. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will find it. Because honestly, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus looks at says, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be worth it. And he he basically says, you have a choice in life. Every single one of us has this choice. You can have one of two lives. He says, you get to choose. I'm not gonna force you. He says, the first life is the life that most people pick. It's the life here on earth where you just go after it. You enjoy every pleasure and everything that this world has to offer. You just dive into it and you enjoy it. Maybe for 60, 70, 80 years, you live this life where you gain the whole world. The problem is you forfeit your soul. You forfeit eternity. And many people choose that choice. They live it up here on earth and they don't have a care for all of eternity. But Jesus says there's a different option for us. He says, you, sure, for maybe 50, 60, 70, 100 years, you might have to suffer. You might have to walk through trials and tribulations. It might be difficult, but I'll give you all of eternity. You'll be with me for all of eternity in paradise. You'll gain everything. And the question is, which life do you choose? You can chase the comforts of this world here and now and forfeit much better ones or you can suffer here and you can enjoy the comforts that God has waiting for you which life will you choose for honest comfort is something we all chase after it's something we all love this is a battle everyday for us so our band to digest this message is going to come up and sing a song and I encourage you to just take in the words you can remain seated and let this be a prayer of your heart God deliver me from this endless pursuit my own comfort. So I'll leave you with this quote from Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary who went across the seas and actually gave up his life to give people the gospel. He neglected his comfort for the sake of somebody else's. And look what he says. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot